Hello, and welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world. Brought to you by the Satellite Applications Catapult. I'm your host, Maggie Adairin-Pocock, and in this series, we'll be discussing some of the incredible and unexpected ways the UK is using space to make huge differences to life on Earth as well as taking a look forward to some of the amazing innovations we can expect for the future. In this episode, I'll be taking a deep dive into the extractive industries and looking at how mining and new technology could hold the key to a greener future. I'm in conversation with Lucy Crane, a senior geologist and part of business development at Cornish Lithium. Jackie Murray, the Deputy Director of the Faraday Battery Challenge at Innovate UK and Royal Academy of Engineering Visiting Professor at the University of Leicester. And finally, Steve Spittle, former Satellite Solutions Architect at the Catapult, who has now set up his own company, Global Trust, using space to empower governments and companies to act ethically for a better world. In May 2019, the Committee on Climate Change recommended that the UK should aim to be net zero on all greenhouse gases by 2050. In doing so, it would keep us in line with the commitments made as part of the 2016 Paris Agreement to keep global warming under two degrees. It's been reported that the UK makes up less than 1% of global emissions, but by demonstrating a feasible path to achieving net zero, there is hope of setting a good example for others to replicate. The sectors responsible for our highest emissions are energy supply, by generating electricity from burning fuels, businesses, by commercial use of electricity, residential, via heating our homes and transportation. In total, these account for approximately 78% of current emissions. So where does the quest to become a greener society begin? Well, the answer could be in our extractive industries and how they collaborate with space. Another key part of the puzzle could be lithium, which can be mined right here in the UK. Now, mining doesn't have the best reputation and accidents such as the coal mine explosion in southern China in December 2019 and the gold mine landslide in Indonesia in April 2020 are often widely reported. Less highlighted, though, are the companies who are striving to make sure that mining minimises waste, engages and benefits local communities, and is kinder to the environment. One of those companies is Cornish Lithium, who are exploring for vital battery metals down in the southwest of the UK. Lucy. You're the senior geologist and also work in business development at Cornish Lithium. As well as changing the wider perception of mining, I guess it's also time we came to terms with just how much we rely on it. Mining is vital to our everyday lives. There's a saying that if something hasn't been grown, then it's got to have been mined, whether that's materials for roads, houses, mobile phones, electric cars, wind turbines, batteries... Everything that we use in our daily lives has either been grown or mined. So 
Firstly, I think it's really important to recognise that we need raw materials. And actually, as we try and transition towards a greener, cleaner economy and away from fossil fuels, we actually need to mine more raw materials than we have done before. So it's going to be so important to make sure that we're extracting them responsibly. I think a lot of people, when they think of mining, tend to picture, you know, something either like pole dark, especially when you're based down in Cornwall, or they picture coal miners and it's dirty and it's hard work and it's polluting. Whereas actually the industry today can be very different to that. There are new extraction methods being developed that mean that you can extract materials from geothermal waters, for example, which is what we're looking to do with lithium, which is very different to traditional mining. But there's also been a lot of advances in kind of developments in technologies for traditional mining as well. So mining has not only evolved, but it's also playing a vital part in moving us towards a greener way of living. And alongside a more responsible and environmentally conscious mining industry is space. We've learned that there's a lot that can be seen from space and that data gathering is beneficial to a wide range of sectors. Steve, you're a former satellite solutions architect at the Catapult, but now, through Global Trust, you're exploring how satellites can help organisations make better ethical decisions. Isn't having data from space as part of the mining chain a recent development? Satellites have interestingly been used within the mining sector for a number of decades now. But interestingly, it's only within the last couple of years where the two industries have actually woken up to the full potential of using the satellite-based technology. This is in part due to the fact that the satellite industry itself has undergone a revolution whereby we have more data available to us. We have much better analytical tools at our disposal. So we're now able to derive a lot more insights about the world around us. But it's also because of the pressures that's now coming on the mining sector itself. Example of some of the applications that we're now starting to see come through this industry include being able to automatically identify the presence of illegal mining, for example, within heavily forested areas. This is particularly an issue, for example, within the Amazon basin, where there's a lot of illegal gold mining happening. And that activity itself can then cause a lot of pollution, such as the mercury that's used to dissociate the gold from its ore. And what we can do is use satellite technology to identify the presence of these miners and then the local authorities can go out there and then start to educate those, those artisanal miners on maybe better practices to try and reduce the amount of pollution within their process of extracting the gold or maybe shut down the whole process altogether, depending on what's right for the situation. We know that transportation is one of the sectors responsible for our highest emissions. So the integration of more electric vehicles is an absolute must. It's estimated that 50% of vehicle production by 2030 will be electric or plug-in hybrid electric. And programmes like the Faraday Battery Challenge are helping to make that happen. Launched through the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund and Innovate UK, the challenge is a £274 million programme aimed at transforming electric, vehicle, battery technology and manufacturing in the UK. Jackie, 2030 really isn't that far away. As the Deputy Director of the Faraday Battery Challenge, what are the challenges we're facing in trying to make such a big leap forward towards more electric vehicle production? So back in around 2016, 
the car companies that sit on the automotive council with government started to really see that as CO2 regulation could be predicted down to 2030 of, of needing to be a fleet average of 67 grams per kilometre driven. That's a real pivotal number. That can't be achieved through internal combustion engines and it can't be achieved with hybrids. It can only be achieved by significant volumes of full electric vehicles. And they could understand the climate change drivers for that. When you burn fuel, you directly convert to CO2 and CO2 equivalents. So it's a very clear target. And they started to realise there was a cliff coming. And that cliff is actually was much closer than people thought. So when you talk about 2030 or 2035 or even 2050, actually the question is, when do you have to manufacture, make the decisions for propulsion for manufacturing the vehicle you're looking at? With a car, you need an architecture, a platform. Car companies will have generic platforms that fit one or two models or even more that they spend about a billion pounds developing and validating. And it takes them about 42 months to do that. And then they will manufacture the same platform for 10 years and what they'll do is for consumers they'll tweak it a bit they'll change the engine slightly and you'll get different performances but you'll get different looks and everything else but fundamentally it's the same platform being manufactured for 10 years and that's because they don't get payback until years late in year seven year eight and that's really massive because it means that to hit a 2030 target in 2020 you need to be manufacturing full electric now to get your fleet averages down to anywhere near the 67 grams per kilometre driven. And the reason that number is so challenging is because at the moment, electric vehicles count as zero and actually they don't, they have embedded carbon. So that will change eventually. It's a huge challenge. As we witness the earth warming, sea levels rising and rainfall patterns becoming less predictable, it's clear that the impact of climate change is no longer something we can turn a blind eye to. In order to slow it down and eventually halt it, carbon emissions must be reduced dramatically. Achieving net zero means that any emissions will be balanced out by absorbing an equivalent amount from the atmosphere. Steve, satellite technologies will be pivotal for addressing the green agenda and particularly going towards a decarbonised future, both for the UK, but also on a global scale. One aspect often talked about in relation to the decarbonisation agenda is the need to transition to electric vehicles. Electric vehicles actually produce less than half as much carbon dioxide as vehicles that use fossil fuels. These electric vehicles use batteries that are composed of a mixture of metals. The demand for batteries has gone up, and therefore has also led to an unprecedented demand for the metals as well that are within the batteries. We have therefore recognised that there is a need to work with the mining industry to help identify the presence of battery technologies and battery metals and be able to extract them in an environmentally friendly way. It is not well known, but actually in the UK and in particular in the southwest, we have lithium reserves. Over the last three years, we've been using and developing satellite technologies to be able to help identify the presence of lithium within the UK. We've heard a little about how satellites can be useful in assuring safety and identifying illegal mines. But can you tell us a little bit more about the role of space when working alongside companies such as Cornish Lithium? Is it actually possible 
to identify lithium hotspots. We've been working with the UK industry to use satellite technologies to pick up on different proxies, which can be thought of as individual fingerprints on the surface of the Earth, which might give an indication of where the underlying lithium is. An example of such a proxy is that lithium has been linked to specific vegetation changes and adaptions. From space, we can actually pick up these anomalies alongside other ones, which when brought together with big data analytics, can be used to create a lithium abundance map. This is where we can give the probability of having lithium in a certain location. Within this first tranche of work and the subsequent drilling van, uh, campaign that happened that allowed us to validate those results, we were able to successfully demonstrate and prove the power of satellite remote sensing technologies to identify the presence of lithium. An ongoing concern within the industry has been tailings, which is the waste material that is produced from mining. Lucy, we've seen what can happen when tailings are mismanaged. What can be done to combat this? So it's kind of two-pronged. One, how can we reduce future tailings? So how can we be much more efficient in the rock that we're extracting that we need to get the ore out of? So rather than having significantly higher volumes of waste rock to ore, we can actually mine the ore more efficiently. So there's work being done on that. And actually, that's where things such as what Cornish Lithium are trying to do, where we're going to be extracting lithium from geothermal waters, so not even from the rock itself. That's a really exciting development in the mining industry because it means that we can really minimise any waste that's produced. So that's kind of one area where a lot of tailings challenges are being addressed at the moment is through innovations in targeting the ore and then how can we extract it more efficiently. It sounds like Cornish Lithium is really paving the way when it comes to innovative extraction methods. But can you expand on the geothermal extraction technique? So in Cornwall, the county is underlain by a rock type called granite. And these granites are hot and they are enriched in lithium. It's the reason that the county has lots of potential for geothermal energy, but it's, the granite itself is also enriched in lithium. There are deep groundwaters that circulate naturally beneath the surface in Cornwall. And they're anything from at least one kilometre below the surface to over five kilometres beneath the surface. And what you can do is drill boreholes from the surface to intercept where these fluids are circulating at depth. And our geologists work that out from looking at where geological faults occur. So geological faults are basically cracks in the Earth's crust Cornwall has not been tectonically active for millions and millions of years, so these are old tectonic faults. But basically, if you think of a granite work surface, that's not very permeable. So it's in areas where these geological faults, these cracks, are present, that there's effectively space and permeability for these deep groundwaters to circulate. So what we're going to do, and what we're in the process of doing, is drill boreholes from the surface down to where these geological faults are at depth, pump the water back up to the top. We will extract the lithium from it here using direct lithium extraction technology, which basically means it will be something like a super high-tech filter where we filter out the lithium compounds and that's it. And the rest of the water can get re-injected back down. What I think is really exciting about this opportunity is that actually these waters that have lithium in are also hot. So there are so many synergies with geothermal energy. So if we can extract the lithium 
and utilize that heat energy, that power is potentially contained within those geothermal waters, then there's the opportunity for us to extract lithium from these geothermal waters in a plant that's powered by green net zero carbon or zero carbon geothermal energy and means that the production of lithium could well be net zero carbon. And what about satellite technology, Steve? How can that be utilised to combat the tailings issue? For example, we can monitor down to the millimetre the movement of the wall of that tailings dam, which is really exciting. And these satellites are in excess of 600 kilometres above us. And over a period of a year, for example, we're able to pick up millimetric movement. We're also able to use that spectral data to see if there's any seepage of material that should be in that tailings facility that's outside of the tailings facility. So, for example, is it polluting into the environment? But more than that as well, if it is, that could be another indicator of instability and that that tailing storage facility needs to be shored up. And this is a really growing area within the industry at the moment and very topical. And we're starting to see a lot of new legislation come out surrounding the monitoring of these facilities. What's particularly interesting about this is that a lot of this pressure is actually coming from the investment community, not necessarily the regulators or the mining companies themselves, but those companies investing in the mine. And we're starting to see the proliferation of something called sustainable investment, whereby investors no longer want to invest in a company or an operation which is going to have a detrimental impact on human life or the environment. So they're now setting the regulations and the standards that the companies need to adhere to, otherwise they're going to start divesting. And this is having a huge impact on the mining industry, and it's also a huge opportunity for the satellite industry to be part of that solution. Jackie, tell us a bit more about the Faraday Battery Challenge. Some very clear targets have been laid out. An estimated 50% of vehicle production being electric or plug-in hybrid electric by 2030. What are some of the key areas of research needed to support this? Really what we've done is we've sort of built these three pillars in the Faraday Battery Challenge. Firstly, around academic research, early stage research. Secondly, about mid-technology readiness level sort of stage research, which is normally a combination of large and small companies doing collaborative R&D projects. And also a third pillar, it's a very large battery industrialization centre, affectionately known as UK BIC, that's opening later this year. And what those three pillars do is really develop UK ecosystem around the technologies that electric vehicle batteries need to develop. And those needs really are, and they're the reasons you and I don't have or might not have electric vehicles quite yet, is firstly, it's cost. So the cost of manufacturing is still quite high at the moment. So we're looking at that, how you manufacture cheaper and in more volume to actually help drive economies of scale. Energy density is the other one, which as consumers we know as as range. So getting more energy density into a battery allows the vehicles finally to have more range. Power density and also is the acceleration you get, but mainly it's actually, I guess, for consumers, how fast you can charge. We also worry then about safety of those batteries, of those vehicles. The first life, how long they'll last, making sure that we produce something that actually really does pay back in terms of its climate change uh, and emissions. 
temperature, the temperature range you can use it at on very cold days still, you will find a slightly smaller range for your electric vehicle versus warm days. And actually the, the important thing there is that we can use them as we need to as consumers. Now, although your work isn't directly in the mining sector, what you do as part of the Faraday Battery Challenge and in collaboration with other organisations helps to communicate valuable information about supply chains and business opportunities. Tell us more about that. So I work with people like the Advanced Propulsion Centre and in particular a fund called the Automotive Transformation Fund. And you can look that up. And that was announced last year. And it's somewhere around a billion pounds worth of capital funding for the supply chain. And the Advanced Propulsion Centre, what they really do understand is the supply chain in automotive and this transformation. And they publish roadmaps on the technology shifts that are needed. And we work with them because we can obviously produce and support innovation as they do. But sort of we, we do the earlier stuff. So we're looking at, you know, what are the scenarios in five, 10 years time in terms of the supply chain? for electric vehicles in the UK. And that automotive transformation fund is very focused around um, volume production and manufacturing of batteries in the UK. And I guess as well with, particularly with COVID, you know, the onshoring of some of those supply chains to make sure you're not vulnerable to interruption in your manufacturing process is really critical. The point here is it's being able to articulate all these nuances so that those in the mining industry can understand them and translate them into what the right way forward is for business cases and investment cases. We mostly reference cars when we're talking about electric vehicles, but of course, transportation is much broader than that. What could rollout look like across the sector? The significant developments, I think, are going to be cross-sectoral applications. And those cross-sector applications are coming even faster, much faster than I think the Auto Council could have predicted in 2016. So we're working with marine, with rail, with off-highway, with niche in the UK. So, you know, the Aston Martins and the Bentleys and the Rolls Royces of this world, niche vehicles like that, Lotuses, motorsport. We also have, you know, companies that are interested in aerospace so looking at it might be light aircraft or vertical takeoff and landing craft but there's huge investment into electric vehicles or electric aircraft going on in the UK and we're very very good in the UK at getting things to move fast and to perform well so the UK has some serious engineering offer around this space and we also have very very good intellectual property and electric motors and electric drives and how you integrate these propulsion systems onto vehicles to make them just feel great for consumers so some really brilliant stuff in the cross-sector field that I think you'll start to see you know The COVID-19 crisis has definitely highlighted how reliant we are on global supply chains. Although that's unlikely to change, there are things we can produce here in the UK with high environmental standards and low carbon impacts. Lucy, doesn't mining locally give us a fantastic opportunity to do that? One of the benefits of mining locally is that actually in the UK, we've been very happy to not have mining. There's this kind of not-in-my-backyard NIMBY attitude in a lot of cases. And I think that means that we've kind of been outsourcing our problems to other parts of the world. We use mobile phones, we use cars, we use all of these products that are mined. But actually, I don't think anybody's really been thinking about where all the raw materials come from. 
you think of food miles or something like that, people I think now have an appreciation of if you buy something that you know was produced down the road in an organic farm, it's going to be better for you, but it's also better for the environment. And I think to a certain extent, that same thinking can be applied to metals and raw materials. For example, if we look at lithium, which is the space I work in, at the moment, most of the world's lithium is either produced from South America in salar deposits, which are kind of big, salty brine pools, or it's produced from West Australia. At those mine sites, they will produce a mineral concentrate, which more often than not is then shipped over to China to be refined into battery quality chemicals for use in batteries such as lithium-ion batteries in electric cars. Then that might be shipped to Korea to be made into battery cells and might then be shipped to Europe to be put into a, you know, to be made into a battery pack for an electric car. And I think there's some research that's been put out at the moment which states that the average distance travelled by the lithium-ion battery pack in an electric car in Europe can be up to 50,000 kilometres before the car's even driven a single mile. Obviously that varies, but that just gives you a sense of how far all of these raw materials are flying around the world at the moment. In the UK, the car industry and the battery industry are going to be very important to our economy going forward because they're big parts of it at the moment. And so if we can provide some of these critical raw materials from the geology that we've actually got in the UK, it can save all of the environmental footprints of flying them around the world. And if we can have more of this vertically integrated supply chain in the UK for things such as battery metals, going all the way through from producing the raw materials up to making the batteries and making the cars, then that's a benefit to the UK economy as well. Another benefit of mining in Cornwall or restarting the mining industry in Cornwall is that actually it could be of huge benefit for local communities. At the moment, the the economy in Cornwall is very heavily reliant on tourism and also on agriculture. But it'd be fantastic if we can have another primary industry in the county that's creating highly paid jobs, it's training up skilled workers, and I think it could be a real benefit in that perspective as well. So we could see a huge boost to the UK economy, and more specifically, the local economy in Cornwall. What we shouldn't take for granted, though, is the importance of keeping local communities engaged and informed. They need to be assured that their voices matter and have a way to be engaged in the process from start to finish. There's a lot of legislation that's come out over the last decade or five years around something called social licence to operate. And this is whereby a mining company now needs to get the the go-ahead from local communities before they can even start extracting metal or minerals from the ground. The only way that that's possible is through very close engagement with the communities and making sure that they're on board with all the activities that are going on. Satellite technology is a really good way of breaking down some of those barriers during that communication process. Using satellite imagery, it is possible to see the lay of the land today, but it's also then possible to then see how that might look as the mine continues to progress and mature over its whole life cycle. So for the everyday person who just wants to keep up to date with what's happening in their local town, how will you translate this information? We recognise that there's a whole raft of complementary technologies that we can use with the satellite data. And one of these in particular is using gaming platforms. We recognise that while not everyone might be a satellite specialist, and quite rightly so, 
everyone can actually start to pick up a smartphone or a games console and play it straight away. And that's because they've been designed that way. They're very intuitive for the end user. And what we can do is we can combine that technology then with satellite imagery. So then everyone has the ability to interact with satellite data in a completely intuitive and simple way. So we can put the, the high resolution, up-to-date satellite imagery within a gaming's engine and now give this out to local communities where they might not have had that information previously. And they can now see exactly what's happening within the mining complex that's near them and what impact that's then having on the environment around them. Similarly, then the mining uh, operator can also use exactly the same information to then derive efficiencies within their own work as well. One of the historical issues with the satellite industry is that we've been very wrapped up about the technology itself. And as specialists, we get excited by that. But actually, we recognize that 99% of that information just almost isn't needed by the end user. And they just want to interact with that last 1% of information. The next 10 years could prove to be hugely significant in positioning the UK as one of the leaders in the move towards net zero targets. It's been estimated that there'll be a 965% increase of the demand for lithium by 2050. And one of the most exciting things to watch unfold will be what that means for Cornwall. I think the bigger picture is that at the moment, the mineral extraction industry in Cornwall is kind of on the brink of restarting. And I think it's a great opportunity for Cornwall and the UK because if we can successfully restart this industry, I think in Cornwall we've got the opportunity to basically become a, an example of global best practice in how to extract these minerals. We know that they're vital for our daily lives and actually we know how important it is to make sure we're extracting them with as low an impact and as environmentally responsible a way as we possibly can. So Cornwall, I think, is a great kind of testing pot for us to actually demonstrate how that works. The wider impact is if the UK can produce domestically some of these raw materials that are going to be so critical to clean growth in our future economy, then, you know, this is going to be really significant for the UK, for our position in Europe and also for our position in the rest of the world. To see what these batteries are capable of, it's going to take some robust testing and even small scale manufacturing. Jackie, what does that look like? We have the Faraday Institution, which is... 400 researchers working and beavering away across 22 of our universities on one hand. But on the other hand, next to Coventry Airport is the UK Battery Industrialisation Centre. Basically, it's a fully flexible gigafactory, but it will run rather than at kiloton scale as a gigafactory would, it will run at tonne scale. So what that basically means is you can go and make electrodes at gigafactory rates, but in short runs. It's fully flexible. It's got anode coating lines, cathode coating lines, drying. You can manufacture cylindrical cells, pouch cells. You can trial different electrolytes, look at it all the way through to module and pack. And you can use it incredibly flexibly as a commercial entity, as a company, or as part of an innovation project, potentially, where you've got different partners come together. It's highly confidential. And, it, and UK BIC is sort of, at the moment, is around 80 engineers and it will be a little bit more when they open and start running but these engineers are there to help you train your staff get your prototypes absolutely bang on and get them ready to go into a continuous processing gigafactory so it's that 
sort of missing piece of the puzzle to give companies in the who come to the UK the opportunity to really take their prototypes through to full market readiness. Thank you to Lucy Crane, Jackie Murray and Steve Spittle for joining me on this episode and to the Satellite Applications Catapult for making it possible. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes, visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook.